Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What it do, Dolphins, and welcome in to the Monday, November the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's game day recap. Miami's two-game winning streak is over. We'll do six takeaways from the loss, including a player that Miami absolutely has to have on this defense to be competitive. We'll break down the individual performances and do an entire segment on Miami's draft prospects, the quarterback class, the Tua Tungavailoa situation with an update on his health, and two big-time prospects that should be heavily considered by Miami next April. A busy show, but first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Go ahead and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. We're going to follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the college quarterback prospect scouting reports from the weekend, as well as Miami's video breakdowns from the lost Sunday against the Bills. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the five takeaways, we start off here with a negative, and it has to be said after several weeks, really, of effusively praising the Dolphins coaching staff. Sunday was a performance that left a lot to be desired. The Dolphins were outcoached on all facets of the game, except for special teams, which is kind of funny because the Dolphins special teams coordinator used to be in Buffalo coaching their special teams. So he gets the win with Jakeem Grant's big day and, of course, the Jason Sanders onside kick recovery. But Brian Flores' defense got ran roughshod over, and really Miami got done dominated in both trenches on either side of the ball. They had bad run fits. They had horribly timed run blitzes that that basically took linebackers out of the correct gaps. They had no idea where Josh Allen was on one zone read keeper. Too many penalties, even more penalties that got picked up because of negative plays already occurring against the Dolphins defense. They blew a coverage. The touchdown pass to John Brown, the first of the game for Buffalo, was a cover two drop from Nick Needham underneath and Bobby McCain over the top as a safety. He fails to get over. Needham doesn't get enough depth on that spot drop in coverage and it's a perfect turkey hole shot from Josh Allen for a long touchdown if you're going to give this coaching staff credit you've got to knock them too the Dolphins had the most sacks allowed since week one the most penalties since week one and their worst offensive rushing output of the season on Sunday takeaway number two Julian Davenport is definitely not it I talked about replacing Jamarcus Webb last week but I didn't know it could possibly get worse and it did this offensive line looked just like the September group did back from those beatdowns against Baltimore, New England, and even into the Dallas and Chargers games. Hell, the entire offense as a whole looked like those early season games against those good teams because Buffalo is a good team as well. And so Miami gets smacked down again by a good team who's well coached. But on that offensive line between Julian Davenport and Michael Dieter on the left side, they are just getting mauled in pass protection regularly. The right side's not getting much push in the running game. And frankly, I've made this point several times in the podcast, but we're at a point where I don't know if any of these five guys are back as starters in 2020. Takeaway number three, Bobby McCain. We talked about that blown coverage with Nick Needham. He missed some tackles in this game and was just generally out of place. Now, granted, he came off the field twice because of the shoulder injury that he's been wearing a harness since training camp because of that injury. And he's only missed a couple of games so far. I think just one actually. And he's out there gutting it out for his team. He's playing out of position, but still you have to go off the results. And the results are that McCain's not playing very well 
well at that position, especially in this game. He missed way too many tackles back there on Sunday. Takeaway number four, the same guys that have been showing bite this season did it again on Sunday. I'm talking about Nick Needham. I'm talking about Vince Beagle, and I'm talking about John Jenkins and even Devontae Parker for that matter. As in a season that basically acts as a, an extended preseason, a 16-game audition for many of these guys who really probably wouldn't getting be getting this much playing time with any other organization right now, these guys are showing to be uncovered gems from this Dolphins organization and this Dolphins coaching staff. We start with Nick Needham, and he's going to get beat by guys like that, like John Brown, for instance, a bona fide number one receiver in this league right now who I think most people have probably slept on up until this point of the season, but he had as many wins against Brown as Brown did against him. Plenty of action breaking up passes at the catch point and staying in phase on several routes with no safety help over the top. I think Nick Needham continues to show that he is a cornerback that can play in this league long term. John Jenkins had a couple of reps where he collapsed, but he didn't play a whole lot on Sunday. And I think he probably had some bad ones as well. We'll look at the All-22 to get a look at that. Vince Beagle continues to be the focal point as far as who this offense focuses on to get blocked up front. And he still wins through some of those double teams. It's fun to watch him play ball and Devontae Parker a career high 135 receiving yards we'll talk more about that in the next segment takeaway number five I thought this game was over from the moment they announced the inactive list on Sunday because we knew that Raekwon McMillan was injured pretty much throughout the week but I didn't know he would miss the game he was questionable for it he winds up getting sat down and he's a player I talked about it in the intro spoiler alert coming right now Raekwon McMillan is the guy this defense has to have to function this year and I think probably going forward into the future and if not Raekwon, then someone just like him to help this run defense, a guy that can go in there and beat up blockers and really stack bodies up and create space for the other guys, the undersized guys like Jerome Baker and Sam McGuavin. The run defense was a full yard per carry worse without Raekwon McMillan on Sunday, inactive for the game, and so was Taco Charlton, the defensive end, who's been okay. I think that his sacks are more of a product of cleanup rush results rather than him winning as a true pass rusher, but when it comes to setting the edge and playing the run game. He's one of the Dolphins' best players right now. He's been the leading snap getter along that defensive line since he got to Miami, and not having both of those guys, probably your best exterior run defender in Taco Charlton and your best interior run defender in Raekwon McMillan, that is a tall task for the rest of this Dolphins' defense to overcome, who's already undermanned in so many positions, rolling with the three-safety group like McDonald, Jones, and Eric Rowe. Who would have thought that would have been a safety combination coming into the season? And without Xavier Howard back there, for instance, without so many of the guys in this lineup to go down even more with McMillan and Charlton, it was always going to be a bad day. The Bills pump out 168 rushing yards on 34 carries. You remove the Josh Allen kneel down, it's 33 carries, 169 yards. That's good for 5.1 yards per carry on the day. And the sixth takeaway is a bonus. We'll come back and talk more about it on the other side, but it has to do with Laramie Tunzel and how many more wins would Laramie Tunzel have given this Dolphins team? But first, how many wins are you leaving behind in the bedroom when it comes to your performance. Listen up, fellas. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance. They call it Toradol Tuesday in the NFL, we're calling it Blue Chew Sunday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. 
Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E. Chew.com, promo code MLB to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Miami Dolphins probably made their bed back in September, or was it August the 30th, when they dealt Laramie Tunzel to the Houston Texans for a pair of first-round draft picks as well as a second-round draft pick. This is Travis Wingful with you guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm talking today about Laramie Tunzel playing a solid left tackle like he did throughout the first couple of years in Miami and now with the Houston Texans, and really, that's the biggest glaring weakness on this Dolphins roster right now, the left tackle position as Julian Davenport, Jamarcus Webb, and even Michael Dieter for a few games, as well as Jesse Davis. All four men that have tried out there have been a, let's call it a work in progress to put it lightly. So my question is, does Laramie Tunzel alone, based upon the results we've had in the Washington game, for instance, or even in Pittsburgh, or with the Bills the first time around, does Laramie Tunzel at left tackle giving Ryan Fitzpatrick way better protection, allowing this offensive line to slide protection away from Tunzel and win those one-on-one matchups against the opposition's best pass rusher? If they had that, does this Dolphins team win two or maybe three more games this season, which equals probably about six or seven wins for the Dolphins and on the fringe of a top 10 draft? pick? Would you want that? I want to know what you guys think about that on Twitter. Would you want Laramie Tunzel here if it meant the difference between picking, say, third in the draft or 10th in the draft? Trading him probably saved Miami a massive future payday. It made the left tackle position the biggest hole on the roster, which sucks going forward, don't get me wrong. But the move alone, I should say, I think saved Miami from the same 6-7 win season, the same fate, the same mediocrity hamster wheel they've been stuck on for the last decade. So maybe that was the best move to get the Dolphins up the draft board. Let's talk about this game on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills and the individuals. You guys can find all these videos available for you up on LockedOnDolphins.com in the post-game article, Buffalo Beats Miami, Back to Reality, the Dolphins-Bills Week 11 recap. And really, Garbage Time brought a lot of the statistics closer at the end of the game than they actually were in this game. Buffalo pretty much dominated throughout the game. At one point, they had 410 yards to Miami's like 176, but it finishes 424 to 303. The Dolphins ran for just 23 yards in this game. Buffalo 168. The Dolphins outpassed Buffalo 280 to 256, but Miami did have the six penalties for 44 yards. Buffalo just five for 50. And on third and fourth down, the Dolphins were atrocious. Five for 18. That's 27.7% conversion. Whereas the Bills were six for 15. That's 40%. The Bills had the seven sacks in this game. Miami had nothing with no pass rush to speak of in this game for Miami. And the time of possession was pretty much equal in the Bills' slight advantage by nine seconds. I think the big challenge now for Brian Flores and his coaching staff going forward is trying to get this team back up to the level of energy and effort they gave the last five weeks because now after the two wins, you can continue to kind of put that effort in and have that energy behind you with victory in your back pocket, but off of a bad loss, it'll be interesting to see how this team responds next week in Cleveland when Miami faces a team who has been poorly coached and had no discipline to speak of all season long. It'll be a chance for Miami to get back on the winning side of things. The 
individual performances in this game. We talked a lot about the offensive line and the receivers, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, his stat line in this game is kind of remarkable when you consider the circumstances. The fact that he didn't turn the ball over and had better than 7.2 yards per attempt. Now again, that was kind of propped up by some late game garbage time uh, yardage they compiled towards the end of that game. But you watch this offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick and there's so many more chunk plays involved like that third down and long conversion to Alan Hearns where he created off script and bought more time to get that pass off downfield on third and 15. There's just way more urgency in pushing the ball down the field. Even though they're not going vertical, they're getting into that intermediate level and I may, that makes the game so much more fun to watch when you know the team has a chance to pick up 12, 15, 25 yard plays here and there. So Fitzpatrick, I thought played pretty good, but he did have some a few misses in this game and he ran himself into a couple of sacks but I think that pretty much any quarterback would have done that with the way the pass protection played on Sunday for Miami. At the running back position, Kalen Balaj continues to get a heavy workload for some reason that I'm not quite aware of. Nine carries, nine yards. His best run of the game was the seven-yard Wildcat carry, where he basically just got to go forward in a bowling ball type of a run that requires basically no vision or no decision-making from the running back, and that's where Balaj's shortcomings are. He has no clue where to run the football when the line does open up even a bit of a crease, which they're not doing much of, but he's doing them no favors and creating almost no yards after contact and with his own vision as well. He's now under two yards per carry on the season. I thought Patrick Laird has earned more than an audition over the final six games. He has six targets today, six catches, 51 yards. He moved the sticks a few times. I think that he should get a lot bigger workload down the stretch. Thought Chandler Cock had his best play of the season when he cleared out a lane on the Kalen Balash touchdown. We talked about Devontae Parker. This guy is looking as fluid as ever, crisply getting out of the breaks of the route at the top of his route, I should say and he's really running after the catch at a level I don't think we've seen in his career to this point. He's got that cheap prove-it type of a deal, and the reason he accepted that was to, quote, change his legacy with the Dolphins, end quote, and I think he's well on his way to accomplishing that goal. Alan Hearns had the big contract extension on Saturday. If you do not hear about it, eight years, to, or eight years, eight million, two years, that's four million per pop, a very, very cheap deal in today's NFL, and that paired with Preston Williams' return to the lineup next season, and Devon Parker's emergence and the use of Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson in this game tells me that Miami will stay away from free agency in terms of the receiver position. I do think they could tap into it in the draft because of how deep this class is, but the free agent dollars probably go elsewhere with this extension for Alan Hearns. He had a nice game up until two big mistakes, the fumble that cost the Dolphins a chance to get within two points at the end of the first half and then a drop pass after that, but otherwise he had four catches for 56 yards. Mike Kosicki's production pretty much goes in line with how the offensive line plays. If they're bad, his stats are bad, and he only had four catches for 18 yards in this game. And Jakeem Grant really involved heavily in this game, 101-yard kickoff return, where he looked fantastic and super, super fast, just blew by everybody on the field. He had another nice uh, third-down catch to almost extend a drive down towards the goal line. I think they gave him a bad spot on the play, and he scored a touchdown on a Wildcat handoff where he basically got to walk into the end zone because of some creative play design there from Chad O'Shea. We talked about Julian Davenport, just dreadful, dreadful game. Michael Dieter's development continues to flatline into the season. Each week, he's having a horrible rep in pass protection or two and not doing much in the run blocking game either. He falls off those blocks. I thought Evan Bame didn't have his best game, nor did Daniel Kilgore, and Keaton Sutherland had to replace Evan Bame at one stage in this game. On the other side of the ball, 
Brian Flores has talked a little bit about Avery Moss, at least prior to his injury that kept him out of the last four games, but he came back on Sunday and made a couple of plays where he does two gap and basically stacks and sheds the way you want him to, but he got so badly fooled on an outside zone run, outside zone read run from Josh Allen that went for 36 yards. That was his worst play probably of the season and one that will be on highlight reels for bloopers for many weeks to come, I'm sure. Devon Godshaw's pretty consistent inside. He holds the point on double teams, but the Dolphins defensive interior had a rough day today because of the linebackers, I think, really failed to make them look good on those double team holds of the point of attack. Christian Wilkins got rolled out a lot in this game. I want to check the all 22, but I think that he had probably a pretty bad game in this one. At linebacker, Jerome Baker, he got chewed out by Brian Flores in the second half, and I think those poor run fits are a reason why. He shot the wrong gap so many times. He did make some big plays, but his poor run fits were a big challenge for Miami in this game. Sam McGuavin just continues to be an issue in that regard as well. His run defense is so easily displaced by the offense. He gets caught up in the wash, and he has has no ability to take on blocks and it really hurts the Dolphins defense many many times I think Vince Beagle talked about him in the open continues to fight through double teams and get himself into a position to make plays teams are going after him with double teams and chips and the like and he's still finding a way to make plays in the secondary Bobby McCain had his worst game of the year today we covered that in the first segment we talked about Nick Needham's performance as far as the other safeties go Eric Rowe and Rashad Jones man I think that the two of them especially when you go three safeties with McCain as the third. It's probably a worse combination than Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald of years past. This team just doesn't have safeties on the roster right now. They really don't, especially with Jones's injury and looking a step slower for him. Eric Rowe, I like his responsibility as a tight end eraser, but you kind of lose that when Rashad Jones gets on the field because Rashad Jones has to play down around the line of scrimmage and it takes away some of Eric Rowe's freedom. I just think that's going to be a big position of contention going forward for the Dolphins next season. So just a bad day in general from both sides of the ball. Special teams won the day, but the Dolphins got outcoached. They got outplayed in the trenches on either side of the football. The Bills' skill players made big plays pretty much throughout the game and the Dolphins were entirely one-dimensional in this contest with no running game to speak of whatsoever. So with that on deck, a trip to Cleveland and the Dolphins will face a Cleveland defense that is surging, but will be without two of its best defensive players in Miles Garrett and Larry Okunjobi. It'll be a challenge for Brian Flores to get this team up to the same level they matched the last couple of weeks. But the good news on Sunday was Miami got a lot of help from around the league in terms of their draft strategy and draft placement. We'll talk about all of that stuff next. All the quarterbacks in college football, it's going to be a draft-centric third segment of the recap show here on Locked on Dolphins. But first, before that, I want to tell you guys about Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. Look, guys, we went out and we had our fun. We won a couple of games. We snuck around the family with the mistress that is known as winning. But it's time to get back to our homestead, the tank. The winning was a nice break, a much-deserved break from the difficulties that have been this season, at least before those two victories. But now, with a little bit of perspective in mind, after seeing what those two wins did to the Dolphins' draft status and draft placement, and yeah, you do want to see this team compete. I actually very much enjoyed the Dolphins when they made the big plays in this game on Sunday to try to get them back into the game. 
but the importance of the Dolphins' future and higher draft picks to offer so much more flexibility come draft day and just more overall choices and directions the Dolphins can go. That's the key to this season right now. And the Dolphins got back to the important things on Sunday with being on the other side of the scoreboard against the Buffalo Bills. They now have games at Cleveland, home for Philadelphia, at the Jets, at the Giants, home for the Bengals, and at the Patriots to finish it up. We updated the Tank Central on LockedOnDolphins.com. We added a new team into the fray with the New York Giants as they now pick ahead of the Miami Dolphins. The Texans and Steelers both lose. The Falcons and Jets win. So the Giants now pick third. And that is a product of the Giants having a weaker strength of schedule than your Miami Dolphins. The Giants are at 466. The Dolphins are at 494. But they still maintain a big gap over Washington and Cincinnati. Washington 528. Cincinnati 566. 66 and the Giants who are third ahead of the Dolphins go to the Bears that's a winnable game they play the Packers at home probably not at the Eagles they're home for the Dolphins a big one there in draft order situation week 16 they're at Washington a very winnable game and week 17 they're at home for the Eagles so they'll be picking third they're now a part of the tank tracker Washington picking second right now at one and nine they look absolutely lifeless with Dwayne Haskins I won't even go over their schedule because I don't see one game on it right now that's even winnable maybe the home game against the Giants is their best bet. And so if they win that game, get to two wins and the Dolphins happen to lose out, which I don't think they will, then Miami would leapfrog them. And as far as the Bengals at the first pick, I watched most of that game today with Ryan Finley and they are out and out tanking. It is a travesty what they are doing right now. Ryan Finley was under 50%. He was under 3.5 yards per attempt. He can't win. He's not going to win a game. Andy Dalton would have won that game. They're finally going back to Joe Mixon and the defense played well, but that's a college-level quarterback out there, much like the Jets looked with Luke Falk when both Sam Darnold and uh, Trevor Simeon were hurt early in the season. So, Bengals are going to pick first. I believe Washington picks second. My prediction is that Miami wins one, maybe two more games, and they wind up picking third right ahead of the New York Giants. So, what does that mean? Probably means Joe Burrow goes first, right? That's how this thing's going to work out. Joe Burrow, to me, is now officially quarterback one with the news of Tua Tungavailoa's devastating hip injury. We'll talk about that here in just one second. And then it comes down to Washington at pick number two. And we'll talk about whether or not you want Tua anymore. But at Washington at number two, let's say that Tua is healthy and medically cleared. Where do they go? Because Dwayne Haskins looks atrocious out there. And he is not a product of the coaching staff, but rather of ownership and management and Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder and that complete tire fire of an organization. My God, they are horrible. And will Tua make his make a move to not go to Washington? Can he be that choosy now that he is damaged goods at this point? Because a guy that has a medical history, the last place you want to go is to the Washington football team. Going to say that word very carefully because they have handled stuff, mismanaged the stuff, I should say, in really fashion that's worse than what Adam Gaze and the New York Jets are doing up there, finding players for missing a treatment or whatever, or just constantly bagging on guys and throwing them under the bus publicly. The Washington football team is even worse than that. So will Tua and his very involved father and family, will they want to go to that team? So I think that Miami at number three or probably even four, five, six, wherever they wind up picking, I think the Dolphins are going to get a crack at Tua Tungavailoa if they want him. Now, of course, it's going to be a long process back for this kid. We don't know 
know how much damage can be caused by that hip. We do know he's having surgery on Monday morning in Houston. There was a report on Sunday that he will have that surgery. The good news is, and we're all becoming medical experts at this point, I suppose. It's kind of funny to watch Twitter evolve these medical conversations forward, but it sounds like Tua's little ball joint in the hip became dislocated and that can cause issues with swelling and it can become cartilage that basically forms over time and prevents mobility for the player in that situation. Not as big of a deal for a quarterback like it is for someone like Albert Wilson who absolutely relies on all that lower half movement. Again, Tua's best strength is his lower half and his mechanics and his footwork and it could be a long crawl back. But if anybody can get back from this, I believe it's him. And now he carries that medical risk, that medical you know, red flag in terms of do you want to draft this guy that high in the draft and pin your franchise's hopes on him? Well, it sounds like he should make a full recovery. That was the last report we heard. But the only reason he's going to be available for Miami, if he is at all, is because of the injury. So that's kind of the risk you run. Do you want to go all in on that quarterback? To me, I still do because even limited mobility-wise, he tore up LSU. He's a special, special quarterback from the pocket. He remains a special quarterback within this particular scheme. He would really shine. And if he comes back medically clear, I'm taking that risk like the Cowboys did on Jalen Smith, like the Titans did on Jeffrey Simmons. I'm taking that risk on a quarterback that I still believe can be a franchise-altering prospect on your team if he gets in the building, if he gets right, if he's healthy. You gotta go to Tua still. And I'll reiterate, the only reason he's going to be available to Miami now is because of this injury. So it cuts really two ways and it really makes for a fascinating conversation from now leading up to the draft in April. Let's talk about some other quarterbacks I watched over the weekend. Jordan Love really stole my heart even though he left the game late in the third quarter with an apparent concussion, I think it was. But go check out the thread up on LockedOnDolphins.com via my Twitter timeline, the video thread for all his big plays. He made four or five plays in that game that just don't look natural. It looks like a shortstop feeling a ground ball deep in the six hole, backhanding it and throwing that thing across the diamond. And he's doing it with a football, which is, you know, 15 times larger than a baseball. You shouldn't be able to do the things that Jordan Love does. He can get off his spot. He can create with his legs. He can have design runs built into the offense. It's going to take some time for him to get to a level where he can compete in the National Football League with the chess players they have on the defensive side of the football in this league. But man, if he ever catches up to things processing wise, and he's still very young, so he still could, he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. If it comes together for him, it'll be a big challenge for whichever coaching staff gets their hands on him. But make no mistake, he's going in the first round. Traits like that do not get out of the first round. Traits like Justin Herbert's don't get out of the first round either, and that's what he's riding off of right now. And I hate to be the turd in the punch bowl, but man, we got to chill out on the Justin Herbert love. I don't understand how anybody is taking new information away from him playing a team like Arizona. This is his fourth year. He's done this every year of his career. Even my one of my good buddies who's an Oregon fan said, I'm kind of sick of Justin Herbert because to this point, he's been all hype. He has zero signature wins. He has zero signature moments. He'll get that chance against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game coming up here in just a couple of weeks. And if he beats them up, I'll consider changing my mind. But history tells me he's going to play like crap in that game. You go through all of his big games against good teams until this year, really. He entered this season 1-5 against Stanford, WSU, and UW, the cream of the Pac-12 crop. Now, he beat them all this year, but he should have lost to both Washington schools. A missed field goal cost him against the Cougs, as I'm sitting here crying. That was a BS game. He should have lost against UW until Jacob Easton basically handed that game to the Huskies. And then Oregon just ran the football to win late in that game. And 
Stanford flat out sucks this year, so we don't count that anymore. But he was one in five coming into the year, has no signature wins, lacks situational awareness. He does not move off the spot any better than Ryan Tannehill. So when you see multiple guys coming in to pressure him and it takes the legs a minute to catch up with the mind and when he recognizes the pressure coming in, don't get mad and say this guy can't get off his spot and don't say I didn't tell you so because that's a big concern in his game. It's a big reason why every team that rushes well in the defensive line department ends up beating Oregon because he can't get off of his spot and extend plays that way. He's fantastic on the move. He'll excel in a play-action 12-personnel-based offense that moves him outside and gets that big arm on the move. He's very impressive in that regard, but the same mistakes occur for Justin Herbert. Go out and beat Utah. Go out and dominate Utah. Get yourself into the college football playoff and play well against some good teams. Then I'll change my mind on Justin Herbert. Jake Fromm, I can really see the concerns most folks have. I feel like I bounce around on this guy a lot, and that's probably because he lacks my favorite trait among quarterbacks in general, the ability to erase pressure with athleticism. And now he is capable of doing that with his mind. And that's where the intrigue comes from, especially in this offense. Two more players to talk about, then we're out of here. Some non-quarterbacks I fell in love with recently. Well, not recently, but their dominance over the weekend really, really sucked me in, especially with their scheme fits in this defense. Julian Blackman, a Utah safety, accepted his invite to the Senior Bowl. He started for two years at Utah at cornerback. He has eight interceptions, which is 10th among active FBS players. He can play single high. He's excellent in coverage, both zone and man. He has a very nice combination of speed and size. He's a very good tackler and they'll blitz him from time to time. He had a forced fumble that wound up going back for six against UCLA on Saturday. He's going to be very high on the Dolphins board. Trust that. Another guy that'll be very high on Miami's draft board, AJ Epinesa. That was the best defensive player tape I've seen this year besides stuff from Chase Young at Ohio State. Watch the way Epinesa dominates that Minnesota left tackle. My goodness, I felt bad for that kid. He got whipped all game long. Epinesa is a stud who would be a great fit in this defense. I explained why in those video threads and before before we get out of here, the Dolphins' current draft order is number four behind the Bengals, behind Washington and the Giants. They then pick 16th with the Pittsburgh Steelers pick, and the Texans' loss now drops that pick up, or brings that pick up, I should say, to 25th. So it's 4th, 16th, and 25th. More improvements potentially on the way. A big game next week for the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Bengals. I doubt they're going to lose that game, but if they do, that would be great information for Miami. Pittsburgh still has the Bengals, the Browns, at the Cardinals, which, by the way, Kyler is a freaking stud. They're home for the Bills at the Jets and at Baltimore. So they probably have two or three more wins in that schedule. Miami's pick probably going to wind up in that 12 to 15 range there from the Steelers. The Texans probably going to make the playoffs. So that pick probably winds up somewhere in the 20s. All right, we are way over our time right now. And I really appreciate you guys putting up with the pace of this podcast. I just had so much to get to. I wanted to make sure we got it in. But as for now, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Got it in.